success is like just lots of tiny little things that happen every day that lead to bigger things happening over time. They're not these huge moments in time that move the company forward. It's lots of little things that while there there are times during the year when you can point to something definite that happened, it was lots of little things that led to that, that gave it the opportunity to happen. And so companies that are great really build a culture around operational excellence, around just doing the little things really well and staying focused. They don't focus on vanity metrics or press or PR or just things that feel good to the external world to get better. You know, they follow just kind of a very kind of focused and operationally excellent kind of strategy. Hello, everyone. Just kidding. This is Chris Powers, and I want to thank you for joining me on the Fort Podcast. This show is an open-ended discussion and journey telling the stories of leaders, founders, CEOs, and people making an impact through business, investing, and entrepreneurship. We take an unconventional approach that leans into thoughts and ideas that aren't often publicly discussed. We'd love to hear from you at thefortpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you again. Chris Powers is the founder and CEO of Ford Capital. All opinions expressed by Chris and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Ford Capital. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for real estate or investment decisions. Hey guys, it's Chris. Thanks for joining me on the Fort Podcast. I'm excited to get back with y'all. It's been a few weeks and um, excited to close out 2019 and start 2020. Um, last year, at the beginning of the year, my partner Jason and I did an episode where we just kind of reflected on the year before. And we're going to do that again. Um, we're just going to talk about kind of what we learned in 2019, what worked, what didn't work. I think anybody that gets to the end of the year, there's a lot to reflect on. There's a lot of successes. There's also just a lot of stuff that you thought would be successful that didn't work. And maybe we'll share some of that. But we're just going to go through kind of some things that we've been thinking about, both that helped us operate our company better, helped us operate our real estate better, technology, and just things that are top of mind. So uh, without further ado, we will kick it off. Jason, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. I think the, uh, I, well, I wouldn't say the biggest, but I think though, if I looked back at 2019 and even where we are starting to drive a lot of our thoughts for what we're doing, I go back to OKRs, which are objectives and key results, which is a way, in short, it's a way to make sure that you are working on the most important thing and that you have a way to kind of measure uh, what that is. And so you have really taken the lead on not only understanding OKRs, but building out a process and a system so that the company uh, uses them. And so let's just kind of start talking about that. Why did it become how we kind of set our objectives um, for the company? Well, I think like any company, you're you're always struggling trying to figure out how to create accountability and to stay focused and to set goals and everybody understands the importance of goals and how powerful they are. And we've been talking about them for years and we've, I think, done a great job like most companies do of keeping it as a focus. But what you start to realize over time is there's a lot of different ways to do it. And there's a lot of people who have probably gotten much better at it than we have. And so I can't remember exactly how OKRs came up. I know you had Either. I registered Measure What Matters you, by John Doerr. Right. I, I didn't know if that was through YPO or something that you had triggered, but it was on the back of other things that we were working on yep. and struggling with. And we had just gone through this cycle of a new way to set goals and to hold people accountable and try to create alignment from the top down in the company. And we had spent about six months, uh, actually almost a year doing that. And so- we were pretty deep into a method of. Uh, we were like three years into EOS. Yeah, but I mean, really good at yeah. setting the goals, holding people accountable, yeah. and having a rhythm. And yeah, we had been building towards that for for years. And so, for me, <laughs> thinking more from the operational standpoint, it was painful to think that we might switch. Yeah. Um, but like anything we do, you seemed very enthused about it. And I, and I could sense that you had done enough research to say there was something much more powerful about it. And so I read the book immediately. 
we began to talk about it. I started to internalize the difference between what what OKRs, things that Google and Intuit and Apple and all these other great companies had figured out. I started to internalize and realize what was the major difference between how we were looking at it and what they had figured out. And so once I had wrapped my mind around it, the difference is very basic and simple. It's just taking the whole goal setting and and trying to keep people accountable and having them do things to make sure they're doing things and throwing it out the window and saying, let's all just identify the most important thing that we need to accomplish. And that starts at the top. And you and I set and we know what we want to accomplish. And if everybody knows those are the most important things, then they can go create the most important thing for them to achieve that. Yeah. And it just starts with the, the basic concept of setting the what, what are we trying to do? And that big objective has to be, you know, aspirational, challenging, qualitative, has to have a time component to it. And it has to be most important, unambiguous. It's got to be very clear and precise and specific. And I think we've always done a good job of setting that big sort of objective, like what we want to accomplish. We want to do this this year. And so it's just taking that what we were already doing well and now making sure that everything from the bottom up, not the top down, was all aligning to what we were trying to accomplish. It's really just those key fundamental differences between that and goal setting, which got me fully bought in. And then the last, I would guess it's been now, I don't know, six months. Mm -hmm. How long have we been doing it? Probably six months. Six months. um, We've been focused on not trying to make it an automatic thing that it just happens. It's a work in progress. We're going to get better at it year over year, but it has immediately shown change. The one thing I think that was the biggest impact on me is just recognizing that we were all trying to do anywhere from 20 to 30 things at any given time (laughs) between you and I, and then our team, we would set goals. And within that, they would be working on 20 or 30 different tasks. And then In the middle of those, you and I would come up with new things and we would just keep pumping the company full of things that needed to get done. Yep. And the truth is, is most people, and this is what you really learn when you recognize how the great companies have really utilized OKRs, is most people can only get done or focus on six to nine things at any given time. And then if you really think about it, if if we say there's one or two or three most important things, why would you then add in another five or six little things that you also want to get done when it's only going to take away from the most important thing. Right. And so recognizing that you can only get done six or nine things in any given time anyway, and only stay focused on it. And you agree, you're going to limit that to the most important thing. Then all of a sudden you can realize in the company, there's not a whole lot that can get done at any given moment. And if you get those things done, then you can move on to the next thing. And once you get into that rhythm, you all of a sudden start accomplishing way more way faster than when you were trying to get 90 things done at any given time. Yep. I think that's been the biggest change for us this year in terms of just, it feels like we're having to slow ourselves down, right? but we're slowing ourselves down to speed up. I think the other thing that I learned the most about it is, and it, it takes, it's OKRs isn't something that you can read in the next week, you're kind of on OKRs. Like it kind of does take a full year of learning and understanding because as much as um, I think where we got off with uh, the previous way we were setting goals is we'd go on a retreat or we knew what had to happen in the company, but we would set these goals at the top of the company, but we wouldn't necessarily get buy-in from the rest of the company. And and it was kind of like, we'll put the goals out and then everybody will just draft right off of them. And when we first developed our big objectives for the company, I think we knew where we would kind of be, but we went through the process of meeting with each team and understanding how that goal impacted them and what lived in that world and got buy-in from the rest of the team rather than just kind of telling the team like, hey, it's a new year and here's our new goals. Um, I think the other thing that attracted us to it was um, while your goals need to be, you know, have a time component so that you know if you hit it or not, it's a way to set goals that don't have to be every week or every 90 days or every year. Like the goal is the goal until it's not the goal anymore. And for me, it was, um, you know, I think about about it a lot of ways is OKRs are a conversation starter. So if I know that somebody on my team 
the three most important things that they're working on are, you know, one, two, and three. And I come in and meet with them for a one-on-one on a Monday. And I just say, how are we moving towards these objectives? Are you on track? Are you off track? If they're on track, great. If they're off track, okay, why? Oh, well, you know, I didn't even get to it this week. Okay, why didn't you get to it this week? Well, because I was doing this other thing. Was well, is, is that more important than than this? And the answer very much could be yes. Right. But it's also a time to reflect and say, are these still the three most important things? So it's not write them down. They're the three most important things and they always have to be. But you're constantly kind of checking yourself. If I'm not moving the ball forward on the objectives I've set forward and I don't have a way to measure if I'm getting closer to the things I said are important. Right. Then, yeah, like you said, you just keep adding to this to-do list and you just, you know, it's important until it's not. And then it's important again. And it's really hard to get everybody to kind of buy in. And so I was hoping maybe you could take the Super Bowl example just so we can give the listeners just a idea of what that OKR, how that cascades throughout an organization. Yeah. And I mean, just as I'm pulling that up, I'll actually pull up that example so we can look at it and and read through it. But objectives and key results for those that that listen to this and don't know, just real quick, basic is objectives. That's like the big goal that you're trying to set. The K, the key results of the OKRs, the key, the, the K is the key results. And those are the how. So the objective is the what, the key result is the how. And that, that is the thing that needs to be measurable, quantifiable, objectively gradable. So there's no question either you did it or you didn't. And both parties, the person that said it and the person that that's either their manager or the person that works with them, both can look at each other and say yes or no. It, there's no gray area. It has to be achievable, but it has to be a, it needs to be a stretch goal. It's usually numerical. So it's usually some sort of number that you can measure, but there's other ways to look at that. And usually it's an actionable thing. So this is something that somebody physically has to go do to create that that thing to happen. Um, it has to be tangible and there's got to be some sort of outcome to it. So that this is the result, right? So the, the objective is the, the what, and this is the how. There's got to be a result to this. So once those things happen, you know, that's the O, K, and the R is the result. So uh, once you get those things going, and then I'll pull up this example real fast. What what have you uh, while I'm pulling this up? What are what do you think has been the biggest challenge in us adopting OKRs, or even more importantly for yourself? Yeah, I think the number one challenge uh, is probably more of a personal characteristic. Is just my nature of who I am. I I have a tendency to make whatever's kind of happening in the moment or in my world a very important thing, and so. Uh, you know, you talk to a lot of people all the time and they're like, I get way more work done when I'm not at the office. And that's because they're kind of in a quiet zone where they can get done what they need to get done. You Then you talk to some people that are like, I went to the office, I was there all day, I was in, you know, did stuff all day and I left and I don't feel like I've moved the, the ball forward at all. And so I think I'm tying that into I struggle and I'm learning to kind of keep what's important, important, not just for today, but for longevity. And again, for me, it's just a, it's just me asking myself the question. I come in every morning now, I see my three objectives that I know I have to work on to move the company forward. And I can ask myself, like, are these still the three most important? And if I'm seeing other things creep up that I need to get done, it, again, it's just a constant, it's just like a scale. It's like, should I do this or should I not? And yeah. If I should do this rather than my objective, then maybe this is telling me something in greater detail that something I thought was important isn't as important anymore. Um, Again, for me, it really just boils back to it's just like a conversation I either have with myself or I can have with anybody on my team, which is here are the three things you said are most important. And these are the key results by which you're getting it done. Let's talk about that. Are are you making progress or are you not? And it, it uncovers a lot. Yeah. I think for us, there's, you know, different personality types, obviously, but if you're somebody listening to this or you're a part of a company and you're running the company or you're responsible for coming up with new ideas or pushing the company forward, those are typically a certain type of person. And those type of people, like much like Chris or I, we have a lot of ideas and we have a lot of things that come into our mind about how we can do things and how we can change things and how we can continue to grow and push. And the challenge is, is that one day we might come up with a great idea that we know is super important and is one of the most important things we should make an objective. And we decide to make that the most important objective for the company. 
And, and that happens. And so that's one of our objectives and key results. But then tomorrow happens and we ha- yet again have another great idea. And the challenge becomes not replacing the thing that we just decided was a great idea yesterday with our new idea before the other idea is ever completed. And that is just a uh, sort of a trap that people with a lot of ideas or that run businesses or that are future focused people continue to add the next thing and they feel like they're moving the ball forward, but they're never really completing the thing that was re- going to be the thing that made the biggest difference. Yeah. Um, and that's what objectives and key results really do for us is they hold us accountable to making sure that the thing we knew was going to be so great and be so impactful to the company actually gets to the finish line by keeping it front of mind and not letting it fall off the and or getting replaced or getting overlapped with something else prior to it getting all the way done. And I think the things that we set as our main objectives from the beginning, they're still the main objectives. They haven't even changed because we just knew those were the most important things to the company and they've stayed that way. So, but real quick, I'll give the example. This sort of makes it clear for really anybody that they use a football analogy and um, measure what matters, which is, uh, you know, Chris mentioned a book by John Doerr who, uh, you know, ran Google. It's just a brilliant guy. Uh, Obviously, one of the, the I don't think he invented. Uh, he was a he was the first VC into Google. Right, and that's right. Yep, but he's a, a proponent of obviously OKRs and has been a a huge driver and has built major companies on the back of it. So um, the example they use in the book is uh, football, which is if you take the general manager and he might have his objective, which is tied to the owner of the company, which is he just needs to make the owner money, right? So his objective is to make a certain amount of money for the owner. And that's a very basic thing, right? The owner has a football team. He needs to make money. And so the general manager has to look at that and say, okay, the owner and I agree, we got to make money. The general manager's job is to say, how am I going to do that? It's not the the owner's job to tell the general manager how he's going to make the owner money. Now, they might agree on these key results, but the general manager comes up with two key results, which one is win the Super Bowl and fill the stands to 88%. Two basic measurements, both of which, if they happen, will obviously make more money for the owner. If you win the Super Bowl, tons of advertising, tons of dollars come into the business. You fill the stands with more people. Obviously, there's more money. So two very clear metrics that if they happen, will make the owner more money. Doesn't get much simpler than that. Now the challenge is how do you get it? How do you push it down? Well, 30% of it, so OKRs are set up, 30% is from the top down, 70% is from the top up. So now you've got to get buy-in from the people below. So the general manager goes to his head coach and he says, okay, coach, here's what I think we need to do this year. This is what my goals are. We need to win the Super Bowl and I would like to fill the stands to 88%. How are we going to do that? He doesn't tell the coach how he's going to do that for the team. He just asks the coach how he's going to contribute to those two things. The coach says, I can help us win the Super Bowl. Here's how I'm going to do it. So my objective is to win the Super Bowl now. So general manager's key result was win the Super Bowl. Now the head coach's objective is to win the Super Bowl. The head coach then creates key, key results, which is 200 yards passing per game, get ranked third in defense in the NFL, and 25-yard punt return average per game. Those are measurable items, can be measured every single game. They can determine if they're on track or off track every Sunday. This is like, they can just track it. So they'll know if they're on track to be a team that can compete for the Super Bowl. Granted, they got to win games and all those things, but they know they can't win games if they don't do those things because they know those numbers equal wins and games. So they're not trying to just set generic key results is like, we got to win games. They want to know how they're going to win the games. Remember, right. this isn't the what, this is the how. Right. So that's the key is setting up that how. Now the general manager says, well, that's great. I got a coach now that's going to help me win the Super Bowl. How am I going to fill the stands to 88%? That's not necessarily the coach. That's my head of PR, right? So then he goes to the head of PR and says, how are we going to fill these stands? You know, I got a coach that's going to get us to the Super Bowl. We got to get people here to get the, the crowd pumped up, to get momentum, and so the head of PR says, okay, great. My objective is to fill the stands to 88%, which was the general manager's key result. I'm going to hire three colorful players. I'm going to get two Monday night games scheduled because those bring in more people because they're live on TV. I'm going to highlight, uh, or yeah, I'm going to highlight key players. So they're going to do marketing campaigns around, you know, the most 
flamboyant or you know noticeable players. So they're going to put a strategy in place which is going to get people in the seat. So that's pretty basic. So the general manager now has his top people fully bought in, fully aligned, doing things that he knows that they can measure that if they happen are going to give him the best chance to complete his objective, which is to make the owner money. Then that just flows through. So the head coach then goes to the offense and the defense and special teams. And then the head of PR goes to scouts and the staff and public agents or publicity agents. And they just set all this up. And then they go set key results that map to those key results or they, the, those people below them set objectives that map to the key results of the head coach and the head of PR. And that just flows through the company that way. That can go for any example for any company. But when you do it that way, you know that all the way to the bottom of the organization, everyone is aligned and working on things that, the, that are going to contribute to the main thing, which is, and that example is to make the owner money. But you see what's going to happen. They're going to win a Super Bowl. They're going to have a full stadium. And, and you go down the line that the the quarterback's going to get 200 yards per game. So he's going to be top ranked in the NFL. You know, everybody's going to win along yeah. the way. And so um, it's, a, it's an easy example and it, it kind of flows through any organization. You can equate that to your business, but that's pretty much the gist of it. It flows from top to bottom, but it's really being set from the bottom up. Yep. To just kind of wrap that up our company objectives and key results going into 2020. And again, these weren't changed because it was 2020. It's just, they've been the objectives, uh, was one, uh, we work every day to acquire and title recapitalize and sell strategic properties within our investment focus. The second is FOS to be the single method to execute all work. FOS is our operating platform. And the third is what we call core, which is cost reduction, overhead management, and revenue generation. So those are the objectives. And then giving an example to the inquire and title, recapitalize and sell strategic properties within our investment focus. Key result number one would be acquire 100 million in new, in new industrial properties by the end of Q4 2020. Automate recapitalization and sale prospects in real time by the end of Q4, and so on and so on. So those get really specific on what we're trying to do. So my objective for 2020 is to lead the team that's going to acquire 100 million in new properties, and my acquisition team around me is setting up objectives based on the key results I need to get there. So yep. That's a long way of describing OKRs. I hope we did it well. Um, again, it's it was John Doerr's book, Measure What Matters, that really turned us on to it. We saw that a lot of great companies that have moved the ball forward exponentially fast while mm -hmm. staying laser focused had followed that pattern. There's probably other ways to set goals that, that work, but this is kind of what worked for us and was something really new to kind of 2019. So I'm glad we got to chat on that. We also... We, we all read Good to Great by Jim Collins. You had, in a previous life, had read it and and really kind of studied it. We read it before our mid-year kind of retreat. It had a big impact, but it really called out. It's, a, it's again, a company why some companies do great and some companies do good. Um, let's talk about that for a little bit. I think what we came out of it with was it forces you to be more laser-focused. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think if there's anything I've learned over the years and continue to learn um, just day in and day out is success is like just lots of tiny little things that happen every day that lead to bigger things happening over time. They're not these huge moments in time that move the company forward. It's lots of little things that while there, there are times during the year when you can point to something definite that happened, it was lots of little things that led to that that gave it the opportunity to happen. And so companies that are great really build a culture around operational excellence, around just doing the little things really well and staying focused. They don't focus on vanity metrics or press or PR or just things that feel good to the external world to get better. You know, they follow just kind of a very kind of focused and operationally excellent kind of strategy. And you can add more yeah, to that. Yeah, I mean, it, basically they, had, they identified, you know, what separated the greatest companies of all time versus just good companies. And there's a ton of good companies, but those companies typically don't last. And, you know, if you're trying to build a company that lasts, there's some key things. And, you know, I think, Every company does a lot of them. The key is, is what are those differentiators that really set you apart to be on a path that can last a long, long time? And some of that is just, 
basics. It's who is running the company and can you identify the leadership skills within the the leaders of the company and utilize each person's strengths, which I think Chris and I do a great job at, and really making sure that you as the leaders of the company are growing and progressing in a way that are going to set the company up to last. And th- those are just some key fundamental things. And then uh, there's a lot of other aspects to what made the companies great, but like what Chris said was on the focus pieces, uh, it's a bunch of tiny things that happen over time that add up and stack up that become a great company. And those things, if done in the right order and are recognized as the things that are moving the company forward, start to create something that's called the flywheel, which um, if you're not familiar with what a flywheel is, it's basically just a series of things that happen over time in a company, imagine it like a big wheel. And as you start to push that wheel, um, it may take a lot of effort to get the wheel around once. And that's like the first couple of years of a company. It feels a little challenging to get the first few wins or successes or to make profit or to hire the right team members or to get a, the credibility. All those things take time. And that's sort of the flywheel making its way around the first couple of times. But after you get into years three and four, if you've started to compound those efforts and that energy and get better, not just keep repeating the same painful thing, but actually get better at each one of those components and stick with it and build processes and work hard, those things start to get easier. And if you really get better at each one of those components and recognize what your strengths are and have a vision and stay focused on that vision, and that's where OKRs come in, keeping you laser focused on that vision, that flywheel starts to speed up. And when it gets into its fourth and fifth and 10th and hundredth rotation, it starts to speed up faster and faster until companies start to run at such a speed and such a momentum that it starts to happen on its own. And that's where the flywheel comes in is basically the company can start to grow at a pace and and do things with very little effort, um, which then gives them more ability to start looking at other ways to expand or grow or to or improve their business because the things that used to be hard are now just automatic. Yep. Um, and that's what we're really focused on. And I think that's, you know, good to great was more of a, I wouldn't say it's a validation for us. I think we were doing a lot of the great things. It was just that right timing to read it again and really internalize it again and say, we're doing a lot of this stuff. Let's really get focused on it and make this a part of our culture and and yeah. use it. And 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 we could talk about the book for two hours, so don't want to yep. do that. But I'll I'll end it on just saying on a quote that that we had in our year end uh, presentation from Jim Collins. It just said, "In creating a good to great transformation, there's no single defining action, no grand program, no single killer innovation, no solitary lucky break, no miracle moment. Rather, the process resembles relentlessly pushing a giant heavy flywheel." turn upon turn, building momentum until a point of breakthrough and beyond. You know, I think about it just for us is if you look back 15 years ago to just what it took to buy the first house, it just seemed like it took all the resources in the world and it was hard and excruciatingly hard. And um, at the time, it felt like that flywheel. It took forever to get around once. Now we live in a in a company where buying a $25 million industrial property is happening in 60 days and more to come and it just it's kind of working and so it's the momentum that you build up over time that, that separates you and i think the other key thing from that book that i i just haven't forgotten is and especially if you're in a smaller growing business there's lots of things that you do one year that you don't really realize a year later you're not really in charge of doing anymore mm-hmm. But it's it's not often like even though there's job descriptions and you kind of tell somebody else that this is what they're doing, it's in business, there's not this always this really clean handoff of I'm no longer doing that, you're doing that. And there's kind of this messy middle that happens when things are being delegated where the new person or the new team member knows they're supposed to be doing it, but you always did it and know how to do it well. And, you know, there's kind of a little tug of war with that. Then there's also the, especially as kind of the owners or founders of a company, everything new that had started was usually, I'm going to be the one that creates this new part of the business. Again, when you're talking about a micro company, less than seven people and it's growing. Mm-hmm. And then the the quote from the book is first who, then what. 
And I think we still are learning that is like, again, we have ideas or there's things that we need to get accomplished. And it's very easy to say like, okay, well, we'll just do that because we can do anything is no, let's find the right person to take charge of this before we get started. Um, again, sounds a lot easier kind of when you talk about it, but it's, it is a, um, it's really tough to do, especially in a small company with smaller resources. And you just kind of say, oh, well, that person has some time on their plate. They'll do it. Yep. And um, taking an extra month or time to think who's really the right person to get this done, get them fully bought in, then let the process start for whatever new, you know, for us, it's property management, which we can talk about. Um, yeah. It's a perfect way to lead in. But mm -hmm. we decided in 2020 that we are going to get into property management and ask and manage all of our assets, something that we've struggled with, um, not struggled with, but haven't been able to bring internal. Um, and a lot of that's been because we haven't been to the scale that we wanted to be, um, which we are now, but rather than just saying, okay, we're going to get into property management, like tomorrow we'll just start getting into it. Which, uh, we, which we've done in the past. Oh, a lot of times uh, and still fight it. Um, I think we spent 30 to 60 days talking with a few key team members, getting really finding out who would be the person that bought in and, and that person um, is fully taking charge. And I would say for me, it felt like this 30 to 90 day kind of window of let's just plan, get all the right people on the bus, and then we'll start um, going rather than going around telling the whole company we're getting into property management. And yep. again, that might seem weird to some listeners, but if you're in a small business, like I feel like this is the the daily, the daily fight. Yeah, for sure. And it's it it fit it was perfect timing because we had just gone through a lot of these conversations. We had started, you know, obviously been working on OKRs for a while. The company was starting to get into a good rhythm of being focused and we were identifying what our flywheel really was, what we needed to be laser focused on. So it, it all of a sudden became obvious that property management was not this uh, deviation or distraction or adding in the next idea that was overlapping. It was a part of the flywheel. It's what they, you know, they use that analogy in the book on flywheels is uh, they're just little bullet shots, right? They're little shots that you fire one at a time, bullets, boom, boom. And it just propels forward until at a moment in time when that enough of those add up, you can then launch the cannonball, which is the big shot, right? Yeah. Once you've built enough of that. And for us, property management was just one of those bullets. We're just adding another layer into the flywheel. It's the same momentum. It's the same process we're already doing. It's the It fits right into our daily uh, activities for our company. Um, we already deal with it. We manage a third party to do it. Um, it just, it fit. And yep. so it was not a distraction. It was an easy, and once you get your company aligned and you have the right, you know, objectives and key results or however you set your goals and you've identified the thing that you're focused on, it starts to be easy to identify those things that are just going to make you better. Right. And property management, it was obvious that we, it was at a time we needed to identify the who. Yep. And then, uh, once we did that, it was just natural to say, here's the plan. This is how we're going to put it in the company. But more importantly, it fit with our objectives and key results, which is core, you know, which was part of core is revenue generation. And when you're looking at a company like ours, it's not that complicated. There's only a few ways to make money. Yeah. And so, you know, revenue generation is one of those things that you don't have to be super creative in real estate to figure out how to generate revenue. You either do a part of the business or you don't. And one of the things that we do a lot of is we pay property managers to manage our properties. And it's easy to look at that revenue and say, well, we're paying them. How much would it cost us to do that? Yep. And is that revenue to us or is it going to be a cost? And at scale, to your point in the beginning was, until you get to scale, that actually can appear to be revenue, but actually ends up being cost because you, you don't have enough scale to make money, but the cost to operate your properties right. is too expensive. Now we're at scale. And so it's a revenue generator. And so now it's just a no brainer. Yep. It's it brings us consistent revenue. It's exactly what you said. I yep. mean, it can only it can only be done at scale. The other thing, which we're excited about with property management, is we're we feel like with FOS and with the software um, that we have subscribed to and built, that last kind of touch point, being able to to work with the tenant directly each and every day. Uh, we think that we'll be able to start creating more data within the company that's telling us kind of what our tenants are up to. Are they growing? Are they they not growing? Where are they spending money? You know, what what 
what are their complaints? What are they? What are they uh, not like? What do they like? And not that third-party managers don't do that, but you know, when you do it for yourself, you can just find. You know, you know what you're looking for. You can. You'll do. You'll act more like an owner. And for us, that last touch point gives us a better opportunity to serve our tenants, who are our customers. It gives us a better opportunity to create um, actionable data over time that helps us make better decisions. And ultimately, it makes us more vertically integrated and a more stable business by having another consistent fixed revenue line item. So in 2020, we will be getting um, into property management and we're excited about it. And I think it's just kind of the evolution of a real estate business. You fight it at times. And I think the people that fight getting into it the most, it's when you're not at scale, property management can be I wouldn't say the word's dreadful, but it could just feel like it's your whole life is just managing the property. Right. Um, whereas right now, Ford is set up with a team that acquires real estate, a team that asset manages it, and then a team that will eventually property manage it. So asset managing is at the financial level, at the are we executing our business plan level, and property management is at the physical, physical location yeah. level, uh, dealing with tenants, to creating maintenance <clears throat> requests, collecting money, I mean, everything that it takes to, to operate. And then we have a finance and accounting team that works in the background to make sure that we're getting equity and loans and that we're accounting for our business appropriately. And so, you know, another thing that just ending 2019 is we just have these very kind of defined teams that have really started to form and, you know, that's exciting. Yeah. And a lot of that's just come by the back to the who. And we, I think, you know, we talked about this on the last one. We had already gotten gotten into culture index um, and we've really gotten good at that process of identifying the who. And um, I think that has been one of the biggest changes in 2019 as well as you know, eight new hires. And I think if we look back at all those are, you know, it's not a knock on anybody who's been here in the past. It's just saying it, we've gotten smarter to make sure that the people that are in the seat that they're in are in the right seat and they're yeah. right for this company and this company's right for them. For it's sure. a match all the way across. And I think we've just gotten really good at that. For sure. Kind of going back to laser focus, I end the year feeling better than I ever have about what we are really focused on. And right now, the bulk of our attention is focused on b acquiring great class B industrial real estate. Yeah. Um, in the past, if you had talked to us three, four or five years ago, we were buying apartments, we were developing some townhomes, we built an office building, we developed some land. I mean, and I'm not kidding you all in a, a matter of a year. And um, it's easy to get in that feeling that feeling busy feels really successful. Um, but when you go back to the flywheel and you go back to staying laser focused, you're not getting incrementally better at one consistent pattern. You're creating all these different, it's kind of like being in, you're either on a two lane highway and you're just flying or you're on a 50 lane highway with lots of cars and traffic and everything else. This is the first year we're going into the year that there is no kind of marching order other than let's buy real estate, let's operate it incredibly well and find the right capital partners that will uh, work with us on these projects. Yep. And let's sell off mostly everything that's not core to us or have a, a plan for that. Just talking a little bit about, you know, we're now at, we've done 20 deals in industrial uh, real estate. We have, we've now been, have a three-year kind of operating track record. We have $77 million of new property under contract or under LOI. Uh, we finished last year doing just under 60 million. So first four or five months of the year, we'll, we'll do more than we did last year. There's just a lot we learned about kind of at the real estate level, industrial real estate. And so is there anything that kind of jumps out at you of that 2019 taught you? Well, I mean, it taught me that um, mostly what we just talked about is that staying focused is way more important than trying to get a lot done. I think we did accomplish a lot in 2019, but I think we went into 2019. Chris and I both said this is probably going to be the most, I don't remember exactly how you said it, but transformational. transformational year. And I think it's, I think we would both agree that it for sure we grew more in 2019, not from a people-wise or company-wise, from we grew as a company from all the fundamentals more in 2019 than we did the prior four years. I think we just learned more. We put more into action. 
we accepted more understanding of who we are and what's actually working and what's not. And we use that as an opportunity to grow. We didn't try to fight it. We didn't try to, you know, be stubborn and keep doing what we're doing. Or um, I think that's that's what I learned the most is really just staying focused and accepting the growth that we were going through and realizing that every year is not going to be this uh, massive year in terms of you're going to buy the most real estate, but you got to use those opportunities to make the business better. Yep. Right. And that's what we did. Again, in, in our industry where you're just doing deals, it can just feel good to be getting deals done. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the biggest things that we have gotten great at, not just over this last year, but over two years is it's really fun to want to buy a deal. Everybody wants to buy the deal. Right. But I think a lot of what gets forgotten is then you got to operate it really, really well. I mean, right. if you just operate it okay, you realize that you have to keep buying cheaper and cheaper and cheaper right. in order for okay operation to get you by. But if you can't be buying stuff for pennies on the dollar, what separates you from the pack is how you operate. And so, you know, over time, my mind has shifted more from, again, how, how do we operate these better and how do we do much better on each investment than just how do we keep buying lots of deals and putting them into the company? And what you realize is the more that you know how to operate and they're, you're getting better returns, your investors are happier, your acquisitions team is getting more uh, refined on what they can and can't buy because they have data coming from the asset management team on what's working and what's not. It kind of is, again, a, a mini flywheel in and of itself. The better that you operate, the more opportunities it gets you to buy. It, it, it gives you a quicker no for the acquisition guys. So acquisition guys live in a world of looking at lots of deals. Yep. I tell them all the time, it's a world of no's. How quickly can you say no to a deal and move on to the next one so you don't spend two days working on something that didn't work? And you can do that more when you know exactly how it's going to operate and yep. you kind of have this feedback loop. So. Yeah, I thought that was that was big. I think we are taking assets to market this year uh, to sell in the industrial space. So stuff that we've been working on for three years. I think there's so much momentum in this Class B industrial space. I still think it's very early on in the game. Um, we talked to some of the brokers that said it feels like up in New York City, there's a new fund being created almost every week, every week yeah. for this type of stuff. It remains in high demand, still a very irreplaceable asset. And so we just continue to get more excited about it, you know, as it continues to prove itself out. So that's what you can expect from us more this year. And I think we finally came to that. I think we were doing it. We just weren't calling it out at the beginning of 2019 is like, this is what we're showing up to work every day to, right. to get done. Um, yeah. And I think a lot of that on the selling side, you know, we've always had a mindset if, you know, you buy great real estate, don't sell it. And, you know, part of this, and I think this is also going back to hiring the right people. When you have the right people and you're, you have an ex, you have a business plan that you've you agreed on and you've even sold to investors in terms of this is what we're doing for buying this asset. When you've executed that business plan, Sometimes the right thing is to execute the business plan, which means you might sell, you might refinance, you might do whatever. And I think that we took a good look at what we've done today and and made a decision that we have executed on a lot of these plans. And there's still a lot of run room to what Chris said in the asset class that we're buying, but we're also executing, we're making good decisions, good fundamental decisions on our investments, not just for Fort Capital, but for our investors so that we can continue to push on while there is still room in this asset class. Yep. So I think ending 2019, we are, um, by the end of the first quarter of 2020, we will have raised over $100 million of equity. And we will have done that from over 146 different investors. Some of those being folks that could write, you know, a gajillion dollar check and some of those writing much smaller checks, sub $25,000. We love them all the same. But it has been, we have always syndicated money and raised money on a per deal basis. We've been reporting to investors for 10 plus years and our investor experience is great. But what we really kind of learned towards the end of the year and with the way that we were growing was it was really critical for us to find uh, more partners um, deep in our bench of partners of folks that could write checks that are, call it larger than they could write checks between five and $25 million. Um, 
And so that's a lot of what we'll be focused on this year. That's different. Um, again, when you you're, when you're buying more and the check sizes get big, the need for capital is growing, and we we are adding more durability to the company. Um, by having partners that we know right out the gate can offer 20 million or can write us a $20 million check. It allows us to pursue opportunities that we couldn't pursue before. It allows us to go over um, after asset classes. Um, we've been predominantly value add. It allows us to get more into core and core plus investors that have different return metrics. And so that'll be kind of a big thing for 2020. And so um, if you know anybody that is a family office, a, a fund, a private equity firm, um, that is investing in industrial real estate, we certainly would love to hear from them or love an introduction. So we will be focused on exactly that, continuing to buy, continuing to look for new markets to buy in, and continuing to look for uh, great financial partners that can, can back us as we go. We mentioned it at the end of last year, but this was our first full year kind of building it into our DNA and the culture, which is core, which is cost reduction, overhead management, revenue generation. Um, this is something that Jason introduced into the company. And it, it was not something that was just something we told everybody about, but it was a uh, objective and a, a long-term plan to make core something that everybody thinks about all the time. And it, at its the way that I understand it and the way that our team understands it is you know, everybody in the company in some way, shape or form is dealing with something that costs money, that creates overhead or that could potentially make us money. And so um, whether it's the smallest little thing, like I think we we changed our uh, paper shredding company, we were paying $220 a month and it went down to $50 a month. But we didn't come up with that. Somebody on our team just thanking core just said, I'm going to check this bill and called two other people, got an invoice, and it happened. Uh, we, we changed almost immediately, and boom, 2000 bucks. And so the big objective there was for everybody to feel like they could participate in CORE. We highlight people at team meetings um, or publicly when we can save money. Um, and it doesn't always have to be this huge amount of savings. I think in, in most people would, would know that it's saving the little bits of money here and there is where the companies separate themselves, not finding these gigantic savings opportunities that, you know, they're just every around every corner. You certainly find them occasionally, but it's having people focus on the smaller things. And so yep. um, I don't know if there's anything you want to add to that. No, that was it. I mean, it, it goes all the way across the company, though. I think every company has an opportunity to look at things that maybe in the past they just took for granted and said, this is just a part of our business. It costs money and just rethink it, reimagine it. We did that a lot with things that technically we did for free or that we did just because um, we thought this is how it was done. And we just reimagined like, how should we be doing this? Are there ways that we could save money? We started basically rebidding every single one of our construction projects, even though the construction person or construction company that we hired bid it, we started bidding it to go back and save additional money over what they were bidding. So little things that we found just to take a little extra time, save a little money. Um, we started making sure that we were just basically billing for the things that we were supposed to be billing for on time consistently every single time. Um, so it's not groundbreaking things. It's the consistency of it. And it's yep. the fact that it's front of mind and it's in everybody's radar and that people are being recognized for it, like you said. But it also goes back to the objectives and key results. This is an ongoing main objective of the company and people are always mapping something. Every department has something they're mapping towards creating additional revenue or saving money somehow or just controlling overhead. And I think the biggest fact on overhead on this on objectives and key results that people miss is sometimes they lose sight of how can how can we affect the overhead and the truth is is it's less about trying to affect the overhead and it's managing the overhead so it's saying am i using all the resources in the company i.e the people am i using everybody the most efficiently is everybody doing what they're supposed to doing are there people that have extra time and are there people that are overworked that sort of thing. And so you're basically saying, am I allocating my resources the most efficiently across the company? 
and that alone will save you money. Yep. So, and I think the other thing I really took from it, which we've talked about, but it's not just cost reduction. Isn't just finding again, the paper shredding bill and then lowering it. And you have like a dollar amount that you can come show somebody in the company. Like I mm-hmm. saved this. It's also, I, you know, I think one of the things we learned was that our, our dis, the way we were making distributions to investors, it went through a series of meetings and a series of people approving the distributions and nobody, the way we started the year was really thinking about that. It's just kind of like how it was. And then somebody kind of said, okay, well, saving time, people's time and hours, which are what we, you know, you pay on people's salaries or what they're, the more of those you can decrease out of their job and give them more time to work on other things, again, that's cost reduction. And so things happen in businesses. And again, it sounds easy when you talk about it, but something is that was taking us three weeks and three meetings and lots of emails we now do in a 24 hour process, there's one checkpoint, but unless somebody is thinking, man, how do I save more time? How do I make this more efficient? Um, It doesn't happen. And so core is also just being, like you said, more efficient with everybody's time. Yeah. Being mindful. We we outsourced some things to India. In, In short, we took some processes in the company that were taking weeks or months. And in two occasions, we shortened one thing that essentially took over the course of the whole year, what was equivalent to two months of the year and reduced it down to days. And another thing that was taken basically three three weeks per quarter yep. and reduced it down to a day. Yep. Um, and that just through efficient processes, recognizing that we're wasting a lot of time. Um, but in short, a company like ours, which you know is not a massive company, but it is a, a decent sized company. In one year, we were able to, between cost savings, overhead management and revenue generation, we were able to add $880,000 to our bottom line. To our bottom line. So that's through savings, revenue, and overhead management, which that that is crazy to think that that's even possible. But that just shows you that, that that's probably somewhat in every business. Yeah. And that doesn't mean like, oh, we did it. Now next year we're good. Yeah. You do this every year. Yeah. It doesn't mean you're going to save that much every year, but there's going to be something there. For sure. So- yeah. And it's literally just a choice that people make. Am yeah. I going to worry about saving money or making money or am I going to let somebody else worry about it? FOS, we mentioned it a little bit last year. It's Ford operating system. It is a software uh, through Stemmons Enterprise that we have been building out um, for our own company. Um, it is an operational software that, attract, that uh, manages workflows it assigns accountability for things. It uh, helps manage processes. It is used as a way to collect data. And we decided to get on at the end of 2018. We spent, we've spent all of 2019 building it, launching it, working out kinks, continuing to innovate on it. We hired a director of technology that's now uh, managing it more full-time. Um, not just that, but the other software that we subscribe to. But FOS, again, is our third OKR, is to make it the single place with which all work is done here. Um, And so I thought maybe you could, uh, what does that mean to you? And what did FOS in 2019 mean to you? You you ran the show there. Yeah. I mean, I think across the entire company, it made us tremendously more efficient. And just me personally, uh, going back to before we had OKRs, we were doing a thousand things like every business owner or even managers or who whoever's running a business is trying to manage a million things. And then the people below them or that work on in the company are also doing that. Tracking all that, keeping up with it, making sure everything's organized. Every company has a way they do it. We just needed a way for us, yeah. right? And that's what uh, the FOS, our FOS system really organized our entire business, but it gave me a ton of time back and be able to manage everything. And then you layer in objectives and key results and those things. It it streamlined our business like I couldn't even imagine. But if you look at the things that we accomplished in 2019, like I'm just looking at a list of some of the highlights and your, your monthly asset reporting, automation of monthly distributions, uh, asset reforecasting, um, technology, uh, established power user groups to implement new processes. I mean, I, you, I can go on and on. This list goes on and on. And every, almost every one of these is only here because we have FOS. 
it's all related to the things that happen in our operating system. So what it essentially allows us to do is take any problem in the company that we identify, like we mentioned a minute ago, the the thing that we took that was taken three weeks every quarter and reducing it to two days. The way that happens is in FOS. We identify it. We establish a quick process around it. It's not a long, doesn't take long. We can literally sit down in an hour and establish this process and say, this. these are the steps that really need to happen. We identify it. We put it in place once in the system. We set up what's called triggers and think casts that go out and basically notify and have people do certain things at certain times. No one ever has to think about it again. That process is not only implemented in the system, no one ever has to even remember to do it ever again. Right. It is done. And so it doesn't mean there's not actions that people are going to take in the future, but they don't have to remember. There's no reminding. There's no follow-up. Yep. There's no anything. And taking that It time, automatically fills people's to-do lists at the first of every month with what they got to do. They right. don't have to be thinking, I got to do monthly distributions and get that started. They no. come in on the first of the month and it, we call them cases, but you can imagine it's a to-do list, just magically has do these 10 things because yep. it's part of your job. And so though you take that across the company, that has exponentially changed the amount of things that we can get done because where before all a lot of things were being done manually and we were just doing a lot of remembering, reminding, follow-up. Oh my God, we forgot. We got to do this. Don't forget. It's the end of the quarter. Let's rush. Do this. A lot of small businesses operate that way. Yep. And the, they may have great checklists and all those things. And we did too. But those end up getting filed in folders. And then you change people. People get promoted. How do you remember? How does the next person get as good as the last person? All that stuff is what FOS has solved for us. And we're, we're, we're in the infancy of it. We're still very early and it has changed. I think it, to this point, Chris mentioned the term cases. That's that's like our version of a task or to do something that gets sent to somebody. And that happens between our company every day. But this year, and we actually didn't launch FOS, I think, until March is when we, we went live in terms of launching cases. So in, from March till today, we've done 16,000 cases. So nine months or whatever. Yeah. We did 16,000 cases between each person. So the powerful thing there is you could look at those as say emails or you know communication back and forth with people but the difference is is all that data is now tracked to a certain entity that were that is in the system and an entity is for instance like a property so if we have an investment that we own that property every bit of communication task follow up to do anything that happened with that property this entire year is all organized nice and clean in one place. Yeah. And we didn't have to do anything extra. We didn't, there wasn't somebody responsible for filing and organizing. And, and so th that taking all that work that normally is required to keep things together is just starting to happen automatically, yeah. which again, is just a part of our flywheel. And I, and I think, uh, to not add any more into what FOS is, if you're listening and you want to come check it out, shoot us an email. We'd love to show you. Yeah, happy um, to show anybody. It's a, it's a big software project, but it, it has been uh, the, ultimate, um, the ultimate game changer. It's changed the way that we work. It's changed the way that we've uh, created accountability. We can measure like what tasks are taking longer than usual and either figure out if there's a problem or... You can report on anything. Yep, literally anything. Um, so it's been huge. And I think that's another kind of big kind of end of 2019. You're in the middle of building our first kind of dashboards that we can see regularly. Again, I that's what makes me feel like a real company is a dashboard. <laughs> I think I've been asking you since we met five years ago, when will we be a company that has a dashboard? Um, but really, we're getting that built, but that's just stemmed from the whole company as it continues to grow and mature is becoming more data driven. What, How can we measure the things that we're working on? And I think it's the biggest challenge that small companies all have. Mm -hmm. If you're not a tech company in Silicon Valley that is building, you know, little measurement tools from like day one because you have software engineers yeah. in the office building, you know, reliable, consistent dashboards, metrics um, that come in those cool graphs and charts, <laughs> it's a lot harder to do. Yeah. Um, it's hard to be consistent and have it automatic without it being a whole nother job in itself. For sure. And that's the key. So we are more data-driven, um, more technology-driven, ending 2019, going into 2020. And 
Again, it's just something that we have put a, a high emphasis on getting completed. And that was, again, why FOS being the single method with which all work is done is important to us, because if that's where all work is done, we're not only getting things done more efficiently, but we're creating a trail of data behind it all. Couple of highlights and just some things that I think I end on and I kind of end on this one every year is uh, we sourced every single one of our deals last year um, off market. And we did that through cold calling and we did that through behind the scenes thinking about how do we create marketing targets that are going to reach sellers of real estate, whether that's brokers or owners. Um, We implemented a CRM platform called HubSpot. And again, how that relates to our OKRs is if we're trying to acquire $100 million worth of real estate one of the key results that might help us get to that would be something like create an awesome CRM platform that gets us in touch with more owners often. And so we have um, implemented that. I would say cold calling, you could bring all the technology in the world, but um, we have found a lot of success by picking up the phone, but also by thinking very creatively about how to find out where sellers are or owners or what buildings would make our criteria. And that's by taking lots of different data and organizing it to where it pops out buildings that would have the most chance of being a selling candidate. So spent a lot of time on that. And we kind of pride ourselves on doing almost all of our deals off market. Um, We love brokers. We want to work with brokers. We'll buy a deal on market, but there has to be a reason why we would be comfortable winning a 30 bid auction. We must see something differently than everybody else is, but right. you know, putting an offer in with 30 other groups, you know, you don't always feel like if you're the winner when <laughs> even if you win. You're not really the winner. Right, unless you you know you have something else. And so off market off- offers us again a lot more opportunity to talk to a lot of people. If you're just bidding on things that are on market, you're not getting reps in. I mean, yep. we're underwriting lots of deals, seeing lots of deals, hearing why people are willing to sell, why they aren't willing to sell. And it also for our investors, uh, we're usually able to secure better economics and pricing on buying, um, which is you know better for all stakeholders. Yeah. And I think we continue to increase our uh, technology platform from a standpoint of how we find those deals. And that's leading into our ability to find more of those off-market deals. And that part we don't talk as much about because it is a little proprietary, but I think over time we will share that information as we start to learn it better. Yep. We're still figuring it out, but I think it does set us apart. You know, the things we're working on from a technology standpoint, identifying assets and new markets that we go into and how to not just find them, contact them, acquire them, and own them is a, a something that I think we've figured out a little differently than most people have. And uh, I think it's given us an advantage going into what we feel is we're at the top of a somewhat of a top of a market. Yeah. So there's less opportunity. You got to be very strategic about what you what you buy. And, and I think we're able to still find those opportunities. Yep. And again, within the real estate sector feel like that industrial asset class has a lot more room to run than maybe some other asset classes. Um, Again, kind of going back to staying focused, doing a lot of the little things really well, um, not letting everything be a shiny, uh, you know, bell that you have to go chase after is I think it's the first year I feel like we're entering the next year which again, the next year just means the sun went around the earth. It doesn't really mean that like you crossed, you know, did this. I love how humans equate like time to like, oh my year. January 1st is so much different than December 31st. But it does give you a chance to reflect. It's a moment in time to think about things again, if if nothing else, but we're just keeping it really, really simple um, heading into 2020, which for me anyway, feels like different than years before where maybe we treated year end as like this time to like dream up all these new ideas, right? It's like the next year or we'll put these things off until January 1st and then we'll do them. Um, We're just heading in. And so that for us is really simple. We're going to keep acquiring class B industrial real estate. We're going to try acquire a hundred million dollars of it. We are going to try and buy in two new markets outside of the state of Texas. We are going to sell seven assets. We are going to keep working on FOS and getting our engagements with the company up. Um, we are going to, um, audit more of our processes within FOS and have a goal for that. 
Um, again, just working on operational excellence. Uh, we are going to bring property management in-house and have all of our property managements hopefully in by the end of Q3. Um, we're continuing to identify and prioritize all of our critical reports and dashboards. Um, but again, it's all part of our flywheel of just buying great real estate, operating it really well, having yep. good partners and treating all the stakeholders in that process really, really well. Hey everyone, it's Chris here again. Thank you so much for joining me on this journey. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe to us on iTunes and leave a five-star rating or write a quick review. You can also email us at thefortpodcast at gmail.com with your thoughts and comments. Thanks again, and I'll see you on the next episode.